The presenting sponsor of Top Docs is Netflix. Now presenting the documentary series, Escaping Twin Flames. From Emmy nominee Cecilia Peck, this three-part documentary series pulls back the veil on Twin Flames Universe, a controversial online community that preys on people looking for love. Den of Geek says it tackles one of the more interesting subjects that streaming has in some time. Escaping Twin Flames is available now on Netflix. Do you have a log line of the film? It is a personal poetic look at the uneasy peace on the front line between Taiwan and China. Hi, I'm Ken Jacobson, and welcome to Top Docs. Today, we're talking to director S. Leo Chang and producer Gene Chen about their documentary Island in Between, which has been nominated for the Oscar for Best Documentary Short Film. Island in Between had its world premiere at the Hawaii International Film Festival and screened at SF Film Doc Stories in 2023. The film is a New York Times Op Docs documentary and can be streamed on the New York Times website. Born in Taiwan, director Leo Chang currently lives in Taipei and splits his time between Taiwan and San Francisco. His most recent film as a director, Our Time Machine, was nominated for an Emmy and a Gotham Award. In 2020, he directed two episodes of the Peabody-winning five-part PBS series, Asian Americans. Born in Taiwan and based in New York, acclaimed filmmaker Gene Chin has been working in documentary film for over 35 years, first as an editor and then as a story consultant, producer, and executive producer. Gene has received two Peabody Awards, including one for Asian Americans, which he executive produced. In the podcast, you'll hear reference to a trip that my wife and I made in November of 2023 to Taipei, where we met up with Leo for a scrumptious lunch. Great food, lovely city, and Island in Between is a wonderful film. As usual, if you like this interview, please follow us and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and tell a friend. Also, please follow us on Instagram at TopDocsPod and on Twitter also at TopDocsPod. And now, my conversation with Leo Chang and Gene Chien, the director and producer of Island in Between. Leo Chang and Gene Chien, welcome to Top Docs. Thanks, Ken. Great to be here. Thank you, Ken. It's great to have you both here, and congratulations on Island in Between. So Island in Between focuses on the island of Kinmen, which is right off the coast of China, but it is a part of Taiwan. I wondered, Leo, if you could just give us a very quick history lesson in terms of Kinmen's role in historical events, say in the 1949 China Civil War, and again, it pops up in the 50s in a very big way in international politics and the politics of China. Can you just give us a brief overview of how and why Kinmen such a small island is so important in history. Ken, it's funny that you say a brief history. I think that's always been a challenge for us because Kinmen history and also Taiwanese history, it is extremely complicated. And that's been the challenge for us telling Taiwanese stories. And that's actually one of the reasons why we felt like we wanted to make this film from this perspective. But here it goes. I'll try my best. So Kinmen Island which in the old days used to be known by the West as Kimoi, was basically the spot that 
the Chinese Civil War ended, when the nationalists fought the communists in the 1940s, around the same time as World War II, and the nationalists was retreating, the nationalists, which is supported by the U.S., was retreating. Cayman Island and also the nearby Matsu Island were the spot that they decided, okay, this is the front line. We're going to stop fighting here, or this is the stalemate, rather. When they stopped, the two sides still kept bombing each other. But with the nationalist side, now the government retreating to the Taiwan Island, but with the help of the U.S., they held their grounds right at Cayman Island. And this stalemate has been there for 70 years, basically. I think the shocking thing is the such a short distance. There's only two miles between Cayman Island and mainland China. It's literally, probably besides the DMZ in North Korea, I guess it's not an active front line, but it's where the tension has sustained for such a long time. It's really shocking to learn that in some ways, because, you know, in the U.S., you hear about Cuba, quote, right off the coast of Florida. Cuba is way farther away from Florida than Kinmen is to China. One of the things you say early in the film is that growing up, Leo, you heard a lot about Kinmen. You also have this connection through your dad, whose military service in 1968 was on Kinmen Island. Why did you want to go to Kinmen and make a film there? Kinmen, it's such a small place and it's such a remote place relative for Taiwan, mainland Taiwan Island, but it has an outsized place in the Taiwanese consciousness. It's a sort of a mythical island. You know, everybody's heard of it. Very few people have been there. Most people heard of it in the context of the war and definitely through their family members serving their military service on these islands. Jean's uncle also served on Cayman Island. We, growing up, always everybody's heard these stories. They tend to be some version of a horror story, right? It's like you go there and it's really scary and there's so many restrictions. And if you're a young man, you're away from home. You're not thinking about how wonderful the, the nature is there or how beautiful the traditional architecture is there. So we've heard these stories and I've always been really curious about the place, but it always felt like, well, there's other more fun places to go. Why go to this place? That sounds so miserable, right? But when the pandemic happened and in Taiwan, it was very restrictive to leave the country and come back. You had to go through a two-week quarantine, mandatory hotel quarantine. Domestic tourism became very active. And so in 2020, I think in April, we went to the Cayman Islands for the first time, me and my parents. And it was nothing like I imagined. Yes, it did have this sort of very interesting, rich military collection of military artifacts. But it is also this really scenic island with wide beaches and beautiful hills. And then it has probably the best collection of traditional Chinese, Southern Chinese architecture within Taiwan. Also seeing China just so close and talking to folks about their relationships to China, how they have relatives and bank accounts and real estate invest investments across the water. But now because of the closing of the ferry, like their accounts are deactivated, that they haven't seen their family members for a long time. So it puts everything in a totally different context than what I was used to. And I also think that visually in Taipei, which you've been to Taipei, Ken, that you, really, you can't see any of the tension that you've been reading about in the newspapers around the world. People are going on with their lives. It's just a very thriving, active city. But 
there's not really any visual reminder of what's happening or what has been happening. But if you go there, that's all you see. Everywhere you look, the tank on the beach, that broadcast wall, the endless bunkers and slogans, the old you know, propaganda slogans on walls of all the villages from the 50s and 60s. It just was visually so representative of the Taiwanese struggle that we thought, hey, this is a perfect backdrop to tell a story about Taiwan. So you went there as a kind of exploratory trip. And then as you were there, you discovered these things and it caught your imagination and you thought, yes, there's a story to tell here. Yeah, I mean, we, I didn't go necessarily thinking that, oh, I'm going to make a film here. Those videos that you see with my family, they were just my home video. It was funny when we were talking to uh, Ruby Rich and she said, well, this is, you know, it's basically this like super intimate home video about a really tense geopolitical situation, which is kind of what we wanted. We wanted a very intimate, personal look at something that could usually perceive as very journalistic or newsy or academic, right? But we wanted a very emotional and very personal approach to it. So it makes it in many ways, more resonant, more relatable to audiences who may not pay attention to Taiwan otherwise. Gene, you were born in Taiwan, and I believe you lived there until you were about 11 before emigrating to the U.S. Do you remember hearing about Kinmen as a girl? Absolutely. I was so excited to find out Leo went to Gene Kinmen with his parents because my first memory with Kinmen is actually related to a memory of the first time I saw my grandma cry uncontrollably in front of everybody. So it was my uncle, he finished his university and it was mandatory to serve the military. And he phoned home and my grandma was having a little mahjong game with her friends. And after she hung up the phone, she started to cry because my uncle got picked to go serving him and just like the same story, Leo's father got, you know, got sent to Kimen and his grandmother cried. So when he said that, I actually was there witnessing this moment. Because I just want to give a little backstory, the difference between Leo's family background and my family background. So Leo's family, there are the nine generation of Chinese, of, of Taiwanese from China. And my family, my grandparents, basically after World War II, my grandfather went to Taiwan to set up the infrastructure for telecommunication, actually. So Taiwan was just a temporary place for them. And my mom, she was born in China, but then she went to Taiwan actually for a vacation to visit my grandparents. And then the war broke up. So all of a sudden, they were stuck in, in Taiwan. And in a way, only recently, I realized they were refugees. Growing up in Taiwan, you don't feel that because you're just protected by the propaganda, by the comfort. But then as I get older, I realize, wow, in a way, my grandparents, they were in exile all their life. They could never go home. And so that was my first memory related to King Men. When my uncle came back from his service, I was eight years old at the time. He would tell me a story about the horror story because that place was probably really haunted by tens of thousands of soldiers was killed there. There's just so many unsettled souls. And I think even on the beach today, there were probably remnants of all the old battle. So that was my first connection to Kingdom. And so when Leo came back with his beautiful footage 
the first image I saw him shot was that beautiful tank, lonely tank on the beach. For me, it's just, it's beautiful, but it's also scarred. Yeah, that is an incredible image that opens the film. It reminds me as a Californian of these beached elephant seals, which are these giant creatures that sleep on the beach and mate on the beach. And here you have a tank that is kind of the, the man-made version of that. It's just stuck in the sand, seemingly out of time, out of place. That's a, actually a beautiful way of putting it. I think we just all fell in love with that image and, and that place and that thing. It's basically encapsulates everything we're talking about. It's something that's trapped, that has this really such beauty, but it's also represents such painful memories and foreshadows something that could happen again. And, and the irony of it being both this terrible weapon of war, but this beautiful backdrop for these IG influencers to go take pictures in front of. The story that we tell in the film is actually quite simple. And it's also quite archetypal, right? It's already happened to both of our families. The experience of my father and Jean's uncle, and there are many others like us in Taiwan. And the way that I grew up was very similar to the way Jean grew up, even though our you know, family backgrounds are different. And also like Taiwanese people, they see this film, they're like, well, that story, it's actually not that new for us. But I think that the point being that for people outside of the region, it's just people have never really looked at Taiwan or heard about Taiwan, China from this perspective, really. That's actually something that we're actually quite proud of how we can represent Taiwan in this way, in a way that connects in, in a much deeper level than just, you know, journalistic reporting. For us, really, is just an entry point for the world to understand our 19-minute film, to, to get more deeper understanding. Like, you went to Taiwan. I didn't go to Kinmen, though. Maybe next time. But it is remarkable how much you are able to put into this 19-minute frame that incorporates so many different elements. Earlier, Gene, you used the word propaganda. And another way that I had not experienced Taiwan before was through its own propaganda. I mean, I associate that kind of hard propaganda footage with communist regimes or totalitarian regimes. But you show us this really remarkable bit of footage of Taiwan propaganda that has slogans like destroy Mao and kill traitors of the Chinese race. It's every bit as vitriolic as, as any propaganda you ever might see. I was just curious, in terms of that archival footage, was that something that you had experienced growing up, or was that something you discovered by way of making the film? Well, you know, I grew up in the 60s in Taiwan during the Cultural Revolution in China. And because with all this propaganda, all the, actually, this is the hope for my grandparents' generation, it is to go back to China. So propaganda is just our everyday thinking. It amazes how I grew up. The flag is, everything's there. And also we had air raid growing up, seriously. When we were kids, we had to duck under the, the desk in, in schools. It was real. I think a couple of things, right? The interesting thing about the propaganda from the nationalist Chinese, which in turn evolved into the Taiwanese government, right? From their side is... Really, if you look at the history, the leader of the Nationalist Party, Chiang Kai-shek, and the leader of the Communist Party, Mao Zedong, they came out of the same system of school system, training system. 
they were classmates. They were colleagues. They literally graduated from the same military school. So their methodology is actually quite similar. One piece of history that we discover later on was that when the nationalists arrived in Taiwan, they were actually quite brutal in terms of trying to gain control of Taiwan by imprisoning and oftentimes disappearing and killing the existing leaders that were in Taiwan in order to gain control of the island. And number two, I think one of my most exper interesting experience uh, in terms of being an American, I, I, I'm both Taiwanese and I'm American, is when I first visited Ho Chi Minh City, Saigon, and I went to the American War Museum, right? In the U.S. is about Vietnam War, it's about how terrible the communists are. You know, even though it's not big slogans printed on the side of the village wall, we still got it from newspapers, from our politicians, from everything. That's also propaganda. You go to Vietnam, they have the exact opposite narrative. America is a terrible imperialistic people. They came to us and bombed us. It's true, but that's not how we learned it. I think the world is like that, right? Like people said, history is written by the winners. And in many ways, the reason why you have not seen as much propaganda from the Chinese nationalist side, aka the old Taiwanese government, is because in this case, they lost the communist China once. So what we saw, what we see now is the dominant narrative of this particular event in history. Kinmen represents different things to different people. To some people, it's home. And you do show us some people who live there and they talk about the complexity of living there. To others who are interested in its historical importance, they might go to it as kind of history buffs as a tourist destination. One of the things you show us in the film is a demonstration of the operation of a giant gun that the United States provided to Taiwan. It's like a World War II era battlement. And these guys go through the process of loading it and showing what it would be like to fire this thing. And it's kind of a kitschy scene, but it also is somewhat serious for what it represents historically. I also thought this particular ritual and just everything around the militarization, the memorializing of militarization that happens on Kinmen must have particular interest and resonance for veterans including, you know, maybe your father. What did you observe in watching veterans as they came to Kinmen and experienced that ritual that I described or other things? It's interesting that you picked that up. I think the veterans group is probably one of their, the biggest population of tourists that come visit Kinmen. And they would literally organize these busloads of veterans from main Taiwanese island to go to Kinmen and go to these different sites. I think that it's like this sort of, this nostalgia for folks, right? It's an opportunity for them to reminisce, to reconnect, to tell stories. There's actually a military museum that commemorates the few battles post the Chinese Civil War. Like, I, I think right now at this moment, we're supposedly, right, according to the scholars or in the other journalists, in the fourth Taiwan Strait crisis. With the people that serve, especially during those windows, they have a lot of stories that kind of haunts them still, that they may not have opportunities to, maybe they have the opportunity to tell it to their family and friends, but not necessarily reconnect with those who experience the same thing with them. So this is an opportunity for them to get back together with their old colleagues and friends and reminisce. 
And now if you go talk to most Kimonese, they're going to tell you that they really don't believe that there's going to be a war. Like is represented by the two ladies in, in the film. They're just like, you know, there's no way, there's no way. And they might be right. And I hope they're right. But at the same time, nobody, just nobody really knows. It's so unpredictable. The Chinese government, the way they make decisions is so opaque. There's just no way of knowing. Yes, there are a lot of things going wrong in China, so they will not have time or resources to bother Taiwan. But yes, because there are so many things going wrong in China, the best way to distract the people there is by doing something to Taiwan. It's a story that the ending of which we nobody knows. That's for nobody sure. Knows. I'm curious, in terms of your creative process, and this is for both of you, you and Gene, this, as we mentioned earlier, there are a lot of elements in this film. There's archival footage. There's the home movie footage that you shot with, when you were there with your parents. There's interviews. There's this propaganda footage. And there's also your personal narration that you write. For you, Gene, what was it like to come on board the project and maybe help guide the project through these different elements, and in particular, to bring out Leo's personal story and connect it with these larger historical events, which I think is done very well, and I know it's not easy. So how did you, as a team, go about doing that? Leo and I, we worked together first on our time machine. And so I always knew Leo's an amazing director, camera person, and an editor. He really is a great editor to start with. And so when he first showed me the footage of Cayman, well, like I said earlier, was the beautiful drone shot of the tank. And then our first cut is just so beautiful. It's observational film. And I say, well, I appreciate it. But if we really want to share our story to the global audience, I think we need a little guide. You know, it's like slowly you have to push Leo because I know personal film is not Leo's. He was not comfortable with it. But even though he's making a, free, a personal film now, so it's slowly, you know, we've got to get his voice in. And Yeah, it's so funny because I remember this. So, so you know, with this project, we're fortunate that it was commissioned by CNEX, which is the, the documentary foundation and production company here in Taipei that has done a lot of great work with Chinese language documentarians, definitely in Taiwan, but also in China and in, in Chinese and diaspora. So that first cut that Gene mentioned had no archival, no narration. It's just really these vignettes. We had started conversations with New York Times as well, and their feedback was very similar to Gene's, which is that it's really beautiful, but the point of view feels lacking, basically. And Jean, I'm pretty sure Jean asked me that. She's like, you, you know, you have to figure out, like, you have to figure out exactly why you're making this film. Like, you need to figure out the core of your motivation to make this film and, and figure out a way to get that into the film so people can enter into this place through this angle. And then she recommended that we should bring in David Teague, who Gene knew much better, and I've known him a little bit, and I very much admire his work, and I was very excited when he said yes. And David was, I call him my narration therapist, because I don't do personal narrations or even just write narrations in general. I actually did not really fully understand the process. I guess everybody can have, have their own process, and in my mind, you just go and you start writing about the subject matter. You write about it, you try to construct some kind of a narrative of text that supplements or that 
compliments, whatever's on screen. But David's approach was different. And right away, I was like, this is so brilliant, is that he gave me all these really existential prompts to write, like, what's the biggest passion in your life? You know, what do what your parents mean to you? What are your biggest disappointments? Things that has nothing to do with this film necessarily, but have, have everything to do with me and how I feel and who I was and who I am. So that's how we actually, we started with just pages and pages of a brainstorming, the very personal journal. It was basically journaling in some ways and of my life and of my worldview and of my identity. And then we start to shape that into what eventually ended up in the film. And also he kept pushing me to like, you know, don't explain. Everything that I wrote had to do with me, my experience. Don't say anything generic, always something specific. But the tricky bit is always, how do you say something very specific and it relates to a memory in like 10 words? It's the conciseness of the narration that was a challenge. I've been saying like after doing this film, I had such respect for people who write like ad copies when you have to boil down these big thoughts and all these different things you want to achieve down to 10 words. Those folks are experts. So it, it was quite thrilling. And as Jim was mentioning, I am making a, a longer personal film next. And this has been a really great exploration and exercise and really pushed me to grow as a filmmaker to try something that I wasn't necessarily comfortable with to come up with a method and a language to tackle this. Can I just add about, so we showed the film to Ang Lee, who was also born in Taiwan and served in the military. I, I worked with him almost 40 years ago under the first documentary. And he, when I say, yeah, I have a film about King Ben, and then he watched it, he said, wow, there's no bad, he was expecting there's going to be bombs, planes, war, battlefield. He said, wow, it's through Leo's personal story. So he was surprised just the approach to this island. Yeah, he, he used a word that I thought was quite appropriate. It's an elegy. It is a mourning in a way, it does have this melancholic feel about it. And then I think that in so many ways that does represent this part of Taiwanese consciousness that's in the back of all of our heads, whether we're here or in diaspora, like Gene is at the moment. I think it's always there and we can access it and we don't talk about it very much, but we connect to it. And I think that this film is really taking this and then show it to the world. I think... The ending of the film really does tap into that sense of melancholia a little bit. And I wanted to ask you about it. It really, for me, represents a more poetical and contemplative tone, perhaps, than most of the rest of the film. It's serene. It's almost dreamy. We see a beautiful sunset, birds flying, even this giant, ugly, giant structure that houses all these speakers that are used for propaganda that's pointed at China. Even that looks beautiful, like a work of art, the way it's lit up. It's got these bright colored lights. So we have this kind of shift in aesthetics and tone in the last couple of minutes of the film that I think really puts everything that we've seen up to that point in a somewhat different light. What, what were you trying to express here at the end? I feel like we were quite restrained in terms of outwardly expressing emotion with our filmic language up till then. E even in our narration, I, I guess the sort of the most pointed was when I talked about this 
being a, a child in a custody battle portion where it was more explicit. But the rest of it was actually quite restrained. It's very contained. And I wanted this end sequence to be a little bit of an emotional release. Again, it's not very explicit. And maybe for some folks, they don't even know what emotion they're releasing. But that's introduced the first piece of score here that's put together this montage that does captures this indescribable melancholia that you would feel when you live in limbo and when you feel like maybe your future is beyond your control. So I don't want the film, and I hope it doesn't, make it feel like Taiwanese people are, are victims. I don't think that's how, how we see ourselves. I think that you've seen it. I think Taiwanese people are actually quite proud of the achievement that we've been able to accomplish, even living under such tension for such a long time. But I don't think you can talk about being Taiwanese and describe the Taiwanese identity without describing this piece of persistent melancholia that we have in our consciousness. And I hope that last sequence helped to encapsulate that and help to, again, this film is emotion first and then maybe supported with fact. So we wanted to have the, in the last moment to really hit this emotional state that we've been trying to express throughout the whole film. Speaking of emotional state, I want to go out with asking each of you to talk about what the other means to you as a collaborator and a friend and a fellow Taiwanese. When I first met Leo, I was so thrilled because I've been working in documentary for since 1982 and took me all those decades to find someone who actually has this shared experience as I have. So Leo is not just a brother, a comrade, or just collaborator. And it's been our dream since we started working in CNX. Like we do the workshop. It's been our dream to tell Taiwanese stories to the world. And I knew I had to rely on, on Leo to be the director to make a film. And I'm just so proud. Oh, Gene, you're going to make me tear up. I feel like in any collaborative relationship, what you're looking for are people who you can have short hands with, that people who you just feel comfortable that there is a fundamental agreement on your worldview, but have skills and especially experience that complement each other. For me, Jean's a big sister, but she's also, everybody knows her as like Auntie Jean, godmother of Asian American documentary filmmaking. I mean, she's like one of the most generous individual I mean, I've seen her done things that I'm not sure I should just uh, share, but it's just like incredibly, incredibly generous and incredibly giving as a human being and incredibly insightful as a filmmaker and as a storyteller. So I feel extremely fortunate to be able to have her as a collaborator and as a friend and as a gossip partner, but we don't want to go into that too much. <laughs> <laughs> we'll go into that when we start recording here in a minute, but... I, I just want to say the film is really an amazing window into a world that the vast majority of people, I'm sure, know very little about. It does so sensitively with a great eye and a great ear for what you discovered there when you went and then connecting it to your own personal history and the history of your country, to Taiwan and to the diaspora for those who've left and those who've come back. So I just want to say congratulations to you. Thank you. And also say thank you for your hospitality when my wife and I visited Taipei. And 
you gave us a bit of an inside glimpse into your wonderful city. So congratulations, Leo and Jean, and thanks so much for talking with us today. Thank you, Ken. Thank you, Ken. Top Docs is a production of Wooly Media. This episode was produced by Ken Jacobson and Mike Merrill and edited by Mike. 